The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. June is busting out all over. Took a couple of days here in New York City for it to get that idea, but all is well now. It's beautiful here, and I hope it is wherever you are. I was just downtown. I was in Soho, the other part of New York City, and it was so interesting on this beautiful spring day to see how much vegan stuff is out in the world, certainly here in New York. First, I walked past the Stella McCartney Boutique. Now, I don't shop at the Stella McCartney Boutique, but golly, if somebody wanted to, it's all ethical and virtually vegan and very cool that that's there in a very fashion-centric part of New York City. Then I saw a woman on the street corner selling mango slices. That seems to be a Caribbean tradition, and a lot of people who have immigrated here from there do mango sales in the warm weather. And then another block or two passed, And there was a guy with a food truck that was all fresh juices and smoothies. So I get it that we're not as prevalent as, say, the McDonald's and the Starbucks. But golly, it's very cool, isn't it? We're sort of taking over the world and all for the good. So today we are going to talk about and talk with two wonderful women who are having such an influence. After the first break, we'll be speaking with Jennifer Cornbleet, who is author of the most used cookbook, but it's a cookless book 
in my kitchen, raw food made easy for one or two people. And right now, I'm going to be introducing you to someone amazing. There is no grass growing under this woman's feet. She got married to a cattle rancher, and now she's turned that cattle ranch into an animal sanctuary. There's a little bit more that's official. I'll read you that. Then we'll talk with her. Rowdy Girl Sanctuary in Angleton, Texas, was founded, well, practically yesterday, February of this year. They are a budding 96-acre haven for farm animals, 50 miles southwest of Houston. The sanctuary's founder, Renee King-Sonham, is the wife of fourth-generation cattle rancher. And Renee couldn't stand seeing those babies being separated from their mamas, especially after she bottle-fed and raised one of the cows, Rowdy Girl, the sanctuary's namesake. Welcome, Renee. Thank you, Victoria. And I'll bet most people think you're the Rowdy Girl. (laughs) Well, it's... uh... It's kind of morphed into that, I think, on some occasions, <laughs> to be the, to tell you the truth. I feel like I have been a few times. Well, tell us the whole story. You fell in love with a cattle rancher. Were you already a vegan? Not when uh, Tommy and I married. We actually uh, were married twice. We The first time we were married, he didn't have the ranch. We, um, we lived in um, a small area in Oyster Creek, and he acquired the ranch uh, after our divorce, and um, a lot of people mistakenly think that, you know, our our ranch is uh, like four generations that we own, that this ranch was owned four generations deep, and that's not how it is at all. His family is fourth generation. I mean, his great-grandpa, um, you know, used to run cattle from San Antonio to Houston, where they had one of the biggest meatpacking plants in the in the city and slaughterhouses, and so my husband's family have all been ranchers, but not necessarily, but it wasn't this ranch. So my husband acquired this ranch uh, after we divorced the first time, and so when we remarried, I was in for quite a surprise when I moved in and uh, fell in love with all the animals, and, you know, being from the city, um, I just wasn't prepared for the uh, nightmare that I was going to be faced with when the red trailer rolled out the first time with all the babies on it. And I just was mortified at the response and the crying of the mamas and the frail in the eyes of the babies. Now, I know that a lot of vegans know that in a dairy operation, the babies and the mothers are separated because there's no need for a boy baby. But are you telling me that they're separated even in a cattle operation? Yeah, well, in a cattle operation, the way that they're uh, separated is after they've been together for like six months. So on a small so-called, you know, humane ranch, which, you know, from when you're driving down the road, you see all these cows grazing and they all look happy. Well, those are the, the cows that are typically beef cattle. Um, and the babies, you know, the mamas are bred naturally by a bull. And then the babies are born uh, naturally, and they're raised uh, for like six months on the on the ranch, and then they're sold to a cell barn. The babies are, and then the mamas are just kept there to continue to reproduce naturally, albeit, 
but still they never get to um, stay with their family members. They, they're always separated after about six months because mm. you can't and, keep them there. And then what happens to mom when she can't have any more babies? Well, it depends on the cattle rancher. But my husband never, ever sent any of the moms to, um, to slaughter, ever. The, the cows that have been on our ranch, whenever they got old, they died right there. So um, that's, uh, that's one good thing about uh, our operation, anyway, is the, is the mothers were never, ever sold for slaughter. Not, not to say that what happened, you know, can justify, you know, anything, because uh, I hated being a part of that industry. It just killed my soul. But um, my husband never did send the mothers. He let them die if they were born there. If they, whatever cows were there on that ranch, whenever they, whenever he bought it, if they, they got to live their life and die there. Well, that's a good thing. So he'd taken a couple of steps in the right direction before you showed up. So were were you vegetarian, or or had you even thought about animal issues? Oh, absolutely. I'd been vegetarian and um, and even had gone raw for a while throughout my life because I have a, a very strong yogic path. And uh, when I started studying yoga and the whole principle of ahimsa, um. You know, I went into the direction of vegetarian, um, and then at one point I went to a raw food retreat. Uh, actually, it was an Essene gathering in Brighton Bush, Oregon, where I met Gabriel Cousins, um, and it was a big raw food fest there, and I wrote the song resonating to the sound there that, um, that's been played, you know, a few times um, here and there, but, you know... I wasn't, I never really took it to the depths of my soul um, because I, you know, was always right back into mainstream and the media and, you know, you're just, uh, we're just bombarded with, uh, with carnism. Basically, we're, bar- we're bombarded as a culture to eat animals. And uh, it, it took, it took me moving into the ranch and with the things I'd already learned in yoga and my background uh, to just it just startled me into awakening. That's what happened with me. It just startled wow. me. Yeah. That is fascinating because I too was taken over the hump into vegetarianism uh, early on because of yoga. It took some more time to get to vegan and, and some of these other things, but uh, the yoga is very, very special. So what happened? Did, did you just one day announce to your husband that this was going to be a sanctuary? Well, it didn't quite happen uh, that easy. Uh, what happened was over a course of uh, five years or so, you know, the babies would leave twice a year typically, and the time between uh, departures kept getting further and further apart because my husband couldn't deal with my emotions. I would go out into the pastures and cry with the mothers. Um, I would beg their forgiveness. I knew we were doing – I knew I was part of something that was wrong, um, and I didn't know how to – to to justify it. I didn't know how to rectify it inside of me. And I started doing my research. I started doing my homework, and I felt very alone, very isolated. I was looking at slaughterhouse videos. I was I was just killing myself, really, on the inside with what I was watching and then what we were doing. And um, I went vegan in October quite, you know, it was just a process. I just was going to eat some stew at my mother-in-law's house, and she served it, and I couldn't eat it. I just was 
repulsed by it. And I said, I just can't eat this. And she said, well, why not? And I said, I just don't want to eat it. It's got meat in it. And I said, I'm seeing it as dead animals right now. I just like there's dead animals floating in it, you know. And she said, well, can't you just pick them out? And I said, no, I can't do that anymore. There's no more picking this stuff out. And so it was October 31st, Halloween of last year, that I know I went vegan. I crossed over into a into an area uh, in my soul, my consciousness, that I'd never been in before. And uh, for the next couple of months, I just did everything I could to find out everything I could about it. And my husband and I were fighting a lot because he was wanting to send the cows off to in the cell barn. It had been, um, you know, eight or nine months, and they were long overdue. Houdini, which is Rowdy Girl's baby, was getting out all the time along the highway. We were getting ready to get fined. So these things were all happening at the same time. Rowdy Girl, you know, of course, my cow. And so in my mind, Houdini was mine, too, because she was Rowdy Girl's baby. And so I drew a line in the sand. I said, um, you know, because he was wanting to send Houdini and Rowdy Girl away because Houdini was causing such a problem, so might as well send Rowdy Girl, too, you know, just get rid of both of them. And I was like, no, you know, that's my cow, and Houdini's my cow. That ain't going to happen. And basically it was a lot harder than that. We were fighting. And he was wanting to send a red trailer off with, like, nine or ten calves that were, in his mind, ready to go. And I drew a line in the sand. I said, if you send that trailer down the road one more time, I'm going to follow it. And I will follow it to the cell barn. I'll follow it to the slaughterhouse. I don't care if I get put in jail. I don't care what happens. I can't do this anymore. I'm I'm over it. And he knew I meant it. I didn't know what it meant that I meant it, but I knew I was going to do it. And I just couldn't do it anymore. And I was uh, not able to go through one more time of watching those babies leave. I just couldn't do it. And so... What a um, powerful story. I just couldn't do it. And, and so he... Um, yeah. Well, That's and then you, you started this Facebook page, Vegan Journal of a Rancher's Wife, and it pretty much went viral. Yeah, because I told my husband in December, uh, see, he was wanting, he said, well, what are we going to do if we don't uh, sell the cow? I mean, if you don't, if we don't do this, Renee, what are we going to do? Should I just, you know, sell all the cows? I, just, I guess I'll just sell everything. So then... He was talking about selling even the mama cows, all of them, just getting out of the cattle ranch business altogether because he couldn't deal with me anymore. And I was having a real issue with that, obviously. I said, no, we can't do that. And so I had befriended a girl on Facebook. Her name is Jeannie. And she said I needed a voice, uh, you know, for my emotions. And she recommended that I start a blog. And Vegan Journal of a Rancher's Wife was born out of that. And, um, you know, I told my husband, I said, you know, if you're going to sell all these cows anyway, if you're going to get out of the business anyway, you know, then why don't you just let me buy the cows? Let me have them. He, you know, he says, well, I ain't giving you anything. You can't, you know, that, that's, that's his investment. I mean, that was his retirement. That was, you know, and I said, well, what if I can buy them? What if I can figure out a way to buy them? And that's how this whole thing happened was I didn't want to, I could not stand the thought of all these cows being sold, you know, and just, for slaughter, all these cows, and and so I said, well, what if I can just buy them? And I didn't, I didn't for a minute know what was going to happen next. But the journal took off. I started journaling my feelings, and the next thing you know, I'm, you know, uh, talking to Kip Anderson. I'm talking to Howard Lyman. I'm just on the phone talking to activists that are 
I mean, I didn't know what else to do because I didn't have any um, examples in Texas to go from, and there was nobody in Texas to talk to about this. I had to just talk to people that I had been researching and said, well, let me find out who this Howard Lyman is and see if I can get a hold of him. Yeah, well, you know, there's there's a Mm -hmm. lot happening in Texas. I think it's such a big state. It's sometimes hard to find the people, but I know you've got the college with the first uh, vegan cafeteria, and I think we have more Main Street Vegan Academy graduates from Texas than from anywhere other than the New York, New Jersey area. So there's a really? there's a demand down there. Yeah, yeah. I'll put you in touch with those people um, after the show. So are you still doing your Indiegogo? Can people still help uh, Rowdy Girl Sanctuary get started? Well, we funded on Indiegogo, thank God, and now we are all the 501c3 paperwork is out the door. We are accepting donations uh, as a nonprofit because we'll have our nonprofit status, you know, by the end of the year. That's all done, and we're just waiting on our, you know, clearance. But um, you can donate online on our website, rowdygirlsanctuary.org. Rowdygirlsanctuary.org. And I know you've had incredible press. People have really taken to this idea that someone followed her heart to do good for those who would have been powerless to help themselves. And it's captured people's imaginations. It certainly captured mine. And I'm so grateful that you've taken some time to share with us today about what is going on down there. I look forward to coming to visit one of these days. Well, I appreciate it. I hope you do. I hope you do. It's been, you know, California has been great to me. You know, um, it's been awesome. It's been great being here and Karen, uh, Karen Dawn, which is somebody I think you know, um, uh-huh. she's been real helpful. She, in fact, she let me stay here. I mean, I've been here. I've been here in her home all week. Well, that is so. wonderful. Yes, she's uh, she's rescued an animal or two in her day as well. Yes, so, thank you so much, um, Renee King Sonnen, RowdyGirlSanctuary.org. Check them out. Help them out. And thank you so much, Renee. I'm so happy we connected. Everybody else, stay with us. We're going to be talking raw food made easy, even if it's just you and somebody you love. If Unity Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, please consider supporting this online radio programming. Visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to live in joy? Is there an area of your life where you could use a miracle? Have you been praying for help and guidance? Come join Lisa and Bill and their guests for an hour filled with practical tips on experiencing miracles, greater abundance, focused, deliberate living, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Experience more joy in life. 
Listen to Living in Joy, Reflections on a Course in Miracles with Lisa Natoli and Bill Free every Friday at 2 p.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Main Street Vegan Show. Gosh, I'm so inspired. It makes me want to just save a cow or something. But what I can do right now in this moment is apologize for any squeaks that you heard during that first segment. Jeff, our engineer, sent me a a Skype note that said squeaky toy. Well, yes, that is exactly what it was. And you may actually hear it again. Uh, My husband has a conference in a different part of our home. And since this is New York City, our home is not exactly vast. So uh, Forbes and I are in a room together and he has a squeaky toy. And you know what? It's Main Street Vegan. We'll deal with it. Won't we? I think so. Well, if you are interested in good food or good health or maybe eating more raw this summer, do I have a guest for you? If you're listening live and want to call in, you can do that at 816-347-5519. My guest is Jennifer Cornbleet. Jennifer is the author of a couple of wonderful cookless books, And she is the author of Raw Food Made Easy for One or Two People. I am on my third copy of Raw Food Made Easy for One or Two People because I use it so often and I've spilled so much stuff on it, I have to keep replacing it. And I think that that's a great compliment to a cookbook author. I hope so. Welcome, Jennifer Cornbleed. Hi, Victoria. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's wonderful to hear you. The last time we talked, it was the opposite. You were interviewing me for one of your wonderful teleseminars, A Taste of Health. So we'll talk about that and some other things. But first, I just want my listeners who may be unfamiliar with your work to get to know you. How on earth did you go from being a regular girl in Chicago to being an expert on raw foods and a raw food chef? Yeah, well, you know, I always loved to cook my entire life. Um, my, I loved to eat. My dad was a good cook, and he taught me how to cook. And I became a vegetarian at a very early age. I was 10 years old when I decided I wanted to be vegetarian, um, which happens with a lot of kids once they realize what meat is. You know, it's just kind of a natural thing. So I became vegetarian at a really early age. And I didn't know how to cook any of the food. So that started with me just experimenting in the kitchen. I got a copy of Laurel's Kitchen. That was my first uh, vegetarian cookbook long ago and just started playing around with it. So it was always a hobby and an interest. Um, and then just kind of fast forward, I um, met a yoga instructor, a holistic health practitioner named Kayvon Golestane, uh when I was in my early 20s, who suggested I include more raw in my diet 
to have more energy and improve my health. I was a vegetarian, but more of kind of a junk food vegetarian. I wasn't like really uh, concerned with health so much as just taste. And so um, he really encouraged me to think about health as well and to give raw food a try. And I started doing that and just fell in love with it. I mean, not only did it make me feel more energized and good, but I love the creativity of it. I really found that I could create delicious recipes that were raw and uncooked, just like I could with um, cooked vegetarian food. And so um, I just kind of started doing it in my own life. And professionally, I was a high school English teacher for a while. And then I went to a, a training program at the Living Light Culinary Institute, a, a raw food chef school. And that experience made me realize, you know, I could actually just teach this. And this could be not just a hobby and a fun thing, but what I do professionally. And I just kind of impulsively quit my high school teaching job and started teaching raw food classes in my apartment and at health food stores and wrote my book. And it all just kind of went from there. Yeah, your book is so popular. I, I think it's one of your publishing house's best-selling books of all time. Now, I'm responsible for three copies, but <laughs> lots of other people are out there buying it too. And I think what it has given to to the raw world and the vegan world is this sense of ease. I think people are intimidated and they're kind of intimidated in in waves. A vegetarian, oh gosh, that's intimidating. Vegan, oh my gosh, that's almost impossible. Raw, surely you jest. And it just <laughs> seems to be harder and harder as one goes along. And then you had this brilliant idea. Now, I know that at the Living Light Culinary Institute, you learned how to do all the complex gourmet stuff. Mm -hmm. And it is possible to spend a lot of time and a lot of money on some of the fancy raw dishes. What gave you the idea to write a cookbook that was simple? Yes, thank you. I mean, it, it, a couple of things. I mean, first of all, it was kind of a selfish reason because I really do love to eat more than I love to cook. I mean, I, I enjoy coming up with tasty recipes, but I don't actually like spending a ton of time in the kitchen. I get impatient with that. So it was kind of a selfish reason of I need this to be easy. And I would see these complicated recipes out there and think, you know, you don't need to go through all that to come up with something that tastes good. There's a lot of shortcuts here. So it was partly selfish. And then when I was starting to teach classes, I could just see, that's what everybody was saying in my classes. I want to eat healthier. It's too hard. It takes too much time. And so they needed for me to come up with this really quick and easy stuff. So that's really how the book developed was in my classes of my students telling me what they needed as well as what I needed. Well, Jennifer, if you would be willing, before we go to break in about 14 minutes, just give us a little class. Just start out. Let's just say you're talking to people, and I'm sure that you are at this very moment, to our listeners who are kind of fascinated and haven't the first idea about what to do to go raw or even just add more raw food into the diet. Okay, okay. Well, the simplest thing people can do, and I like how you said to add more. I, I do want to say this doesn't need to be an all or nothing thing. Uh, and for a lot of people, just adding some more raw food, maybe getting it even up to say like 50% is, is a really easy thing to do, um, that doesn't need to be, you know, super major. So I just want to kind of start with how could you just really, really easily add say 50% raw to your diet, um, the easiest way you could. So the first thing I would do is, um, start with breakfast. 
I find that to be the easiest meal to change because it's a simpler meal. It's not as social. Uh, it's something we can change a little more easily. And people are kind of used to some raw foods at breakfast anyway, like smoothies and fruits and things. So it's not too much of a stretch. So um, what I always do is suggest first is try a smoothie for breakfast. And it could be a, a fruit smoothie, like say blueberry, orange, banana. That's one of my favorites. Um, it could be a green smoothie if you want to be adventurous and add a handful of spinach or kale to your smoothie. If it's not too much, you'll, you'll barely taste it. Um, so, but start with a smoothie. It could be a green smoothie, could be a fruit smoothie, or it could just be a big bowl of fresh fruit in the summer. And now that we're getting towards summer with all these wonderful peaches and berries, that can be a wonderful breakfast. Um, and then if you're still hungry, you know, eat, eat some oatmeal or whatever, but at least you got that raw food in. So that's where I would start is with breakfast. And then the next thing I would do uh, for lunch, which is the second easiest meal to change because also not quite as social as dinner, um, is I, that's where I always try to get in a huge salad. And what I like to do to save time there is to keep in my refrigerator some lettuce already chopped and washed and dried in the salad spinner ready to go, um, some shredded carrots and sliced cabbage. I, I just keep that in the fridge so I can make a salad in a second. And then um, if you want it to be all raw, to make it heartier, you could add avocado, you could add a tahini dressing, some healthy fat. Um, if you don't want it all raw, you could add some lentils and quinoa to it or, or something like that. And, and the, the salad could still be like 50%, 75% raw because um, that's the base of it. And you'll notice that some of the recipes I'm suggesting are not too radical. They're things like smoothies and salads. I've got a lot more creative stuff in my book, but I think sometimes it helps people to just start, you know, with these, with these basics. Um, but salads can be wonderfully delicious just by varying, you know, putting a different fresh herb in it. You could put some fennel in it, some cherry tomatoes, some garlic in the dressing. You, you can get a lot of, uh, a different flavors, even in a simple salad. Um, and actually, that's reminding me of dressing. I actually never make a separate dressing, like in a jar or in a blender or anything. That's too time-consuming for me. I just do it right in the bowl that the salad is in, uh, at the bottom of the bowl before I add the salad. I'll just put a little bit of lemon, a little olive oil, a little salt. If I want it fancier, I'll put a little tahini in there or a little garlic, whisk it up, add everything else. So that can be really simple. And then the final thing I would recommend uh, moving on to dinner, which can be a little more of a social meal and harder to make all raw, depending on your habits and your family and all of that. And so what I suggest there to start is just add a raw first course. Uh, don't worry about the rest of dinner if you're not ready for that to become more raw at this point. It, you know, just add a raw first course. And that could be a small salad, just lettuce and parsley, for example, a real simple salad. Could be um, some crudite, some cut up raw veggies, either plain or with a little dip. Um, could be your leftover smoothie from breakfast, could be a platter of fruit, uh, could be a raw soup, which is kind of like a smoothie, but savory. One of my favorites is um, spinach, apple, avocado. I think you had that in your last um, email. Uh, so that could be a first course. Uh, and then your dinner just became about 25% raw. And then the final thing I would say is if you're eating snacks or desserts uh, in between or after meals, try some raw ones. It could be fruit, could be a smoothie, could be cut up veggies. Um, all kinds of wonderful, easy raw desserts like chocolate mousse with avocado. Um, and if you just did those simple things, you would be eating 50 to 75% raw. Wow, that is easy. Fascinating. <laughs> now, I want to ask you something else about that first book. You have done this for one or two people. 
which Mm -hmm. I just appreciate so much because pretty much my whole life, I've either been myself or with one other person. And every cookbook that I have ever read since back in the day of Laurel's Kitchen and coming forward, so many cookbooks are serves eight. It's like, mm-hmm. what am I going to do? Go out on the street and pull people in with a cane like the old vaudeville. <laughs> and just the name of your book that you put in easy and then you put in one or two people. So did, did you sense that there was a need for smaller portions? You know, not really. Again, it was my own thing I wanted to solve that I was one or two people. Uh, I've been two all the time. I don't have kids. I'm, I'm always one or two people. And, um, and it was like, I couldn't, just like you, I couldn't find any cookbooks where I wasn't making a ton of food and wasting time and money doing that. So it was something I needed as well as in my classes. A lot of people were telling me they needed it too. And so it really came from that. A lot of times, you know, I do try to teach, of course, what my students want, but a lot of times I find that overlaps with something that I myself want to learn and I'm finding trouble finding a way to learn it. And so I right. decide I've got to figure this out, you know, and teach it. And, and your recipes multiply very well because I, I do a lot of your recipes for Main Street Vegan Academy when I'm cooking for usually about 18 people. And the other day, we're prepping for an academy that's coming at the end of the week. And I said to my assistant, okay, can you just read me the academy instructions mm-hmm. <laughs> for the muesli and the spinach apple soup and, and some of these other things? So it, it works. It works. And multiplying is easier than dividing. Definitely. So what about leftovers? Let's say somebody is cooking from a, a raw cookbook that gives you great big numbers and you're not going to be able to eat all that food. Does it not keep as well as cooked food? Can you freeze it? What do you do with leftovers? Mm -hmm. Well, there are some recipes that keep a little bit better than others. And, and for those, sometimes I even try to intentionally make leftovers or make it in advance. So I have enough for the week. So some of those would be um, pate and a pate is a dip or a spread made from soaked nuts and seeds and other seasonings. Uh, one of my favorites in raw food made easy is called not tuna pate. Have you tried oh, that, that one? Oh, no. are you kidding? <laughs> tried it. My husband absolutely loves it. You know, it's so funny. You can know somebody for a long time and not really know them. And he went vegetarian and then he went vegan and, you know, he, all, it's all good. I never knew until I made that that he was missing that tuna salad, egg salad, turkey salad thing like people eat in America <laughs> more than, you know, any any of the kinds of foods that most people talk about missing. So, yeah, we make that, I would say, at least once a week in the summer and, and quite a bit in the winter, too. And then we do this wonderful thing with it that you have in the book called tomato stackers. Mm-hmm. When tomatoes are in season and really tasty and wonderful, you just slice the, the tomato and you put the pate in there and then you put another tomato slice on top and then you put some more pate and a tomato slice some more pate and then you put the tomato slice on top, maybe that's got the little green leaf. You put that on a, a plate with some greens. It's absolutely gorgeous. You can serve it to company and it's quite yummy. 
<laughs> yeah, I love that one. And and that brings up, you know, this this not tuna pate is very versatile. You can do a million things with it, and the tomato stacks is one. So that's why I like to make a big batch at the beginning of the week. It actually keeps for five to seven days in the refrigerator. And you could even freeze it, too. Um, It's got soaked sunflower seeds and almonds soaked overnight, so they process easily in the food processor, lemon juice, parsley, onion, uh, and celery. And so I will make a big batch of that at the beginning of the week, and then that will be lunch for me most days of the week in the tomato stacks, in a salad, as a dip with cut-up veggies, um, stuffed into a red bell pepper half. There's so many things you can do with it. So that keeps... Um, another, uh, anything with nuts and seeds tends to keep. So like another thing I like to make at the beginning of the week, sometimes I did say I rarely make, um, dressing, but, uh, this is kind of, it's a dip as well. So sometimes I will make this. Um, have you tried the mock sour cream and chive dip or the ranch dressing? You know, I don't think I, well, the ranch dressing, the cashew ranch. Yeah. That's, that's my standard. Okay. Well, it's similar to the mock sour cream and chive dip, just with, you know, less water. And so sometimes I'll make that at the beginning of the week. That lasts five days. And you can use that as dressing or sauce on anything. Um, this actually isn't in, in my book. Sometimes I'll combine two recipes in my book and create a whole new thing. So one thing I love doing with the cashew ranch dressing is, you know, the zucchini noodles with marinara sauce. Yes. You, you try. Okay. So I'll put that on top of lettuce and then add cashew ranch dressing. And it's like a zucchini pasta salad. So that was just kind of combining two things. So, but anyway, um, sauces, marinara sauce, cashew ranch, not tuna pate, these all keep all week. Um, a lot of the desserts, like cook, like the, um, cookies, almond cookies, uh, they keep all week, you know, so there's definitely things you can make at the beginning of the week. And then even something like green smoothies, sometimes I'll just make them the night before if I know I'm going to have a really busy morning, put them in the fridge and I'll make even a double batch and have that ready for breakfast and for a snack the next day. So you can do a little bit of ahead of time, um, things. And, and if you're making, uh, you know, in terms of leftovers, I try to not make leftovers of things like salads uh, that are dressed because that's not going to keep but a lot of these other recipes do keep at least 24 hours and in some cases uh, several days. And the recipes are so simple. It, it, it's really not hard to make something from scratch, especially mm-hmm. if you've got the lettuce cut up and all that, like you were saying. So given the fact that you can have all this great raw food and it's easy, and also given the fact, like you've said, you don't have to be all raw, you can put that mock tuna pate on some plain old bread and mm-hmm. and it's fabulous it's just mm-hmm. it's a wonderful little integration there and yet when you say raw food to somebody who number one doesn't think you're talking about an oyster bar or who doesn't <laughs> think you're talking about carrot sticks the first impression is complex mm-hmm. really really tough mm-hmm. so how did that reputation develop? Well, yeah. And, you know, I do think it's changing a little bit, but first I I think um, there was kind of an explosion of gourmet raw cuisine about 10 years ago when, um, which is great. I mean, people started discovering what are all the cool things we can do with these raw vegetables, fruits, nuts, and seeds. And you had restaurants opening and dehydration. And it was kind of just a creative explosion of what can be done with this, which I think is really cool. Um, but then the downside of that is it led people to think, well, this might be great for a restaurant, 
or a special occasion, but I can't do this, you know, on a regular basis. And I think also people got a little tired too of, um, I mean, even though those gourmet flavors can be incredibly delicious and it's nice when you go out to a restaurant, sometimes you actually crave just simple flavors and simple foods. I mean, it's not just a time thing. We actually enjoy those simple foods. Um, I do think it's changing now as I'm seeing raw recipes such as green smoothies and salads and raw desserts getting kind of integrated into the mainstream. So you'll see more people who don't identify as, as being into raw food as, oh, but yes, I love green smoothies or green juices or I love gluten-free, um, you know, chocolate mousse made out of avocado or whatever, you know, so I think it is changing a little bit. I think it's changing a lot and much of the credit for that goes to you. When we come back after the break, we are going to talk about, is it expensive? Is it really healthy? And what's for dessert? Stay with us. Chris Michaels, host of Healing Your Life on Unity Online Radio, is an author, life coach, national speaker, and the founder and spiritual director of the Center for Spiritual Living in Kansas City, Missouri. Through his writing, coaching, and speaking, Chris has helped thousands of people understand the basic spiritual principles that govern our lives. In his book, Your Soul's Assignment, he reminds us that we each have something to do here on Earth, a unique purpose to our lives. If you're interested in discerning what is yours to do, are looking for practical spiritual principles to inspire your life, or coaching to provide you with the tools to live more fully, visit Chris's website at www.chrismichaels.net. That's www.chrismichaels.net. Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Are you hungry yet? (laughs) Whenever I think about raw food and talk about raw food, I feel hungry in a very interesting way. I don't feel hungry in that craving way. Just in this really nice, oh, yeah, something, something green or maybe something delectably chocolate, (laughs) but raw and real would be wonderful. One of the things that I think raw cuisine has given to vegan cuisine and vegetarian cuisine as a whole are the desserts. And these desserts are made out of real food. 
So even though they're sweet, it's sweetness primarily from fruit. There are nuts in there that slow down the digestion of the sugar. So lots of times people who don't feel safe in eating a conventional dessert can eat a raw dessert. You have wonderful ones in Raw Food Made Easy. And you have a whole book about desserts, Raw for Dessert, Easy Delights for Everyone. Talk about dessert. Yeah, well, um, I have a sweet tooth. I really do like dessert. But I don't like the way I feel after I eat a bunch of white sugar or white flour or dairy and I want to avoid gluten. I want to avoid a lot of that. So, um, raw desserts are really great for that, even whether you are or aren't interested in raw food. And they're, they're just free of all of that. And yet they're so satisfying. And like you said, you can have a small amount and it feels like real food. It feels really satisfying. Um, you don't tend to want to eat a ton of it or feel bad afterwards. And there's so much variety in what you can do. You can do cookies, like out of dates and almonds and flavorings. You can do chocolate mousse out of avocado. You can do pies, puddings, ice creams, candies, um, you know, fruit-based ones. There's just so much you can do with uh, just Mother Nature's ingredients in the dessert world. My favorite story from your book, I guess I'm collecting stories from your book since I use it so much, <laughs> is, is the five-minute chocolate cake. My husband was having a, a business person come over at the last minute and he was just like, oh my gosh, you know, we don't have, do we have any cookies? Do we have anything I can give this person? And I said, never fear. We have a fresh from the not oven chocolate cake. <laughs> and, and I made your, your beautiful chocolate cake. We had some raspberries to put on top. It, it was just absolutely gorgeous. And now to listeners who aren't familiar with this, we're not talking about two layers like Betty Crocker. This is, is different, but it, it's just exquisitely delicious and people love it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when, when I teach classes, like I just give a talk or something, that's always the dessert I demonstrate at the end. And I tell people I'm going to make this cake from start to finish in five minutes right in front of you. And they can't believe it, but it's true. And, (laughs) and that's also one of the ones that has no concentrated sweeteners, whatever. I mean, I I don't have a problem with a little maple syrup, but it, it, this particular dessert doesn't need any of that. It's just walnuts, dates, cocoa powder, a little water, an optional vanilla. And so good. So yeah. good. Oh, my yeah, gosh. Yeah. You're brilliant. <laughs> now, I have a lovely friend back in Kansas City, Elizabeth, and she is a foodie. And she said to me once, I once made a raw pie. It cost $47. I know it is possible to make a raw pie and spend $47. So talk with us a little bit about raw cuisine, the expense of it, and how somebody can do it on a budget. Okay, sure. Yeah. And in any kind of cuisine, it can be inexpensive or expensive. I mean, vegan or vegetarian can be super gourmet and expensive or not expensive. It just, you know, there's a spectrum for all kinds of cuisine. So with raw, um, to make it more affordable, some of the ingredients to minimize would be Nuts, dried fruit, sweeteners, oils, tropical fruits, superfoods. Um, I use those, but just in small amounts and not for everything. And then what you want to maximize are fruits and vegetables. And that's, those are the healthiest foods anyway. The greens, the vegetables, um, the, the fruits, just regular fruit, not like super exotic fruit. 
Um, that's going to be more affordable and that's what to emphasize anyways. And then I use the other things for special occasions. Um, you can use more seeds than nuts, which tend to be a little bit cheaper as well. The other thing that I do um, just for myself when I'm grocery shopping, which saves a lot of time and money, is most people pick, say, 10 different recipes they want to make and then make a shopping list. And if those recipes are very different from each other, you could end up with a shopping list a mile long, and that's going to be expensive. On the other hand, what you can do is sort of make your shopping list first or based on what you have or some things that are in season or that you want to buy and make it really limited. Like, I'm just going to get these 10 things. Uh, and then develop your recipes out of that, you know, and reuse things. And that's what I do in, in Raw Food Made Easy. There's just a really simple shopping list at the beginning, and everything in the book can be made from that. Um, and I think that's where it gets expensive is everything you're making is something different, and then you've got, like, leftovers of a million different things, and that's partly what can add to the expense. Well, I have found ways to get it cheaper I don't know what they do at Trader Joe's. Do you have Trader Joe's out where you are? Yeah. I mean, it's very trying to have to stand in the long lines, but the prices on nuts and seeds there are are just so reasonable. Mm -hmm. So I do that. And then I also just try to think about the quality of the food. I don't feel that I have to put my retirement funds in goji berries. I just because something <laughs> comes from far away, I don't know that it's any better than a blueberry that comes from Maine. Mm-hmm. But I do see that if you shop smart, you can do this and you can do this without spending a lot of money because when you're trying to be mostly raw, you avoid most of the grocery store. Mm-hmm. So you've got more money for for the produce section and the bulk bins. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely, definitely. I don't think it needs to be any more expensive uh, than a standard way of eating and can actually be less. Absolutely. So tell us about the health. My own prejudice is that eating a lot of raw just gives you a kind of life force energy that you're not going to get any other way. And I'm not saying 100%. I'm certainly not 100%. And in the winter, (laughs) my Mm -hmm. percentage doesn't look very high at all. But I know that as long as I get in a green juice, a salad, something in the winter, and then really up the amount of raw in the summer, I just feel like it's my my health secret. Mm -hmm. What's your feeling on that? Yeah, I mean, me too. I'm not a nutritionist or or a health practitioner or anything, just, you know, a a cook and an author. But when I eat this way, I feel way more energy. And when I, and and it's partly, you know, you're avoiding things when you're eating this way. So it's partly that, but it's also the food itself just gives you this life energy is my experience. And when I've, you know, I was recently in Paris and when I was traveling and I was eating more cooked food, not as much raw, I was, wasn't having my green smoothies. And I just really noticed my energy was was lower and I was just craving them. You know, like I can't wait to have fresh green food. You know, it's just, yeah. um, you know, you just feel so much lighter and more energized almost immediately after I eat the food. I feel that way versus the kind of tired feeling I might feel even when I'm eating relatively healthy cooked foods, which are still relatively healthy. But I don't it just it gives you that energy. You know, I don't know. I think it's one of those things. Somebody just has to try it. And mm-hmm. see how they feel. See see if it works for them. Mm-hmm. Now, in addition to your two books, we've talked about Raw Food Made Easy for One or Two People and Raw for Dessert. But you also have a DVD, Raw in a Rush. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is really your um, 
modus operandi, I think, of making things easy. And sometimes people do like to see something prepared. So mm-hmm. tell us about the DVD. Yeah, so the DVDs, I've got three of them uh, called Raw Food Made Easy, Raw in a Rush, and um, Raw Travel and Treats. And they're, if you want to see me actually making the recipes, which sometimes makes it stick more than just reading it in a book, they're a great visual companion uh, to the books to actually see me step-by-step making recipes and explaining everything. Okay, and all those are on Amazon, I believe. Mm-hmm. And also your website is learnrawfood.com. And you can find out all sorts of great info from Jennifer Cornbleed there. Now, you do things other than just, um, I started to say cook. What do you, there needs to be a verb for <laughs> to prepare food without heat. You know, I still call it cooking. Just I, I just call it, it's like, why does cooking have to just mean heating? It could also mean the preparation part. So I still call it cooking. But I know, oh. I know there's a, yeah. <laughs> I, I always think of this isn't cooked enough. <laughs> so um, you do other things, though, and you do these incredible telesummits. I've just done a couple with you in the past few months. We just did one for people who, who want to turn their passion for healthy foods into a business, the Tasty Life Summit. And then there was the Easy Real Meals Telesummit. And you were telling me during the break that five of those are still available so people can listen on your site. Yeah, so um, the Easy Real Meals one is where I interview um, chefs uh, and, and just food experts about their favorite Easy Real breakfast lunches and dinners. And at easyrealmeals.com, even though that event has ended, if you sign up, there's still five interviews up there, uh, including yours, the really great interviews. And then the Tasty Life Summit, the tastylifesummit.com, is actually just finishing up right now. And, and there will still be some interviews up there even after it's over. So if anyone listening is interested in turning their passion for healthy food into a career or a business, say teaching, uh, I interview Victoria and many others who are successfully uh, having a business related to healthy eating, uh, that's available too. And that's at the tastylifesummit.com. Wonderful. So from... LearnRawFood.com, can they get to these others or do they have to go to separate sites? They're separate. So my website's LearnRawFood.com. And if you want to listen to the interviews, uh, one set is at EasyRealMeals.com and the other is at TheTastyLifeSummit.com. Okay, we've got that. We're smart. We've been eating good food. Our brains are working well. We can manage three websites. <laughs> so, Jennifer, thank you so much. Thank you for this. Thank you for the teleseminars. And really thank you for making my husband and me healthier people because you have made it possible to, to be high raw eaters in a way that's delicious and fabulous So thank you so very much. I know you have another interview to run to. We really appreciate your time and your wisdom. All the best. Thank you. Thank you. And everybody else, I just wanted to give a shout out for this week's Main Street Vegan blog post. You can go to MainStreetVegan.net slash blog, and you will see that the post is written by my dog, Forbes. Well, okay. So he needed some help with the writing. But the post is called How to Love a Dog by Forbes Melton Moran. 
And it's really everything that this little guy has taught me about what he needs and how to love somebody who happens to be experiencing life as a canine. So I hope that you will enjoy Forbes's first public work and that you will be back with us next week right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world for another episode of Main Street Vegan. That's going to be men's fashion. We will have on Joshua Catcher, the designer at Brave Gentleman, and also John Bartlett. Ooh, he's a fancy designer, johnbartlettnyc.com. And we're going to be talking about clothes and guys and compassion. Do join us. And in the meantime, God bless you and eat those raw veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. notice that there might be something not quite right, but you just can't put your finger on it? We may describe it as an inner stirring, a restlessness, a yearning to find our way home to our heart and higher purpose. Some of us may feel like we are living on borrowed time, that despite our accomplishments, what was once so important to us now just feels empty and meaningless. If you find your heart longing, wanting, looking for a path home to authenticity and purpose, join us for transformation, inspiration, hope, and possibility. Move toward your higher calling. Listen to The Call of Spirit with Evelyn Foreman and tune in to Possibility every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central Time here on Unity Online Radio. According to an ancient Hindu teaching, if you can only speak the truth and tell no lies for 12 consecutive years, you can attain enlightenment. Resolve to be honest with yourself and others starting today, and after 4,383 days, you just may become enlightened. This meditative moment from Rev. Joan Gattuso and Unity Magazine is brought to you by Unity. experience the peace and joy promised by A Course in Miracles? Or are you still struggling to truly live your beliefs from moment to moment? Let Rev. Jennifer Hadley help you focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace through practical application by walking your talk. Experience the healing live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central on A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk. 
only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Within you is a divine spark. As you feed your mind, body, and spirit with inspiration, the spark becomes a flame. Unity Online Radio provides the fuel to ignite your passion, creativity, and more during our special Ignite Your Life series. Tune into the series at unityonlineradio.org slash ignite. Connect with your source and ignite your life. That's unityonlineradio.org slash ignite. Notice how the funniest things happen when we stop taking ourselves too seriously and step out boldly? Listen to Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed as these unlikely saints administer a refreshing dose of laughter and love that will inspire you to step out boldly and experience the funniest things. Join the discussion with Daryl and Ed live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Funniest Thing, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind, Body, Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 